There's a way, a way, such a better way Today, today Raise your voice, tell the world There's a better way Today, there's a better way This is Rod Adams, and it's time for another Atomic Show. With me today, I have Liz Muller, the co-founder and CEO of Deep Isolation, a company that is addressing the nuclear waste issue in a creative way to take advantage of technology that's been developed and well-proven by the oil and gas industry. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much, Rod. I'm very happy to be here. So... You've been on the show before, about two years ago, sometime around April of 2020. And uh, that time you were even younger startup than you are today. And But I wanted to get you back on and uh, get an update on what's been going on the last couple of years and how your technology development and, and uh, marketing efforts are going, How what kind of reception you're getting uh, for people that are responsible for uh, approving the solution that you offer. So tell us a little bit about what's been going on in the last couple of years. I bet it's been busy. Thank you, Rod. I, I appreciate that. It's it's funny to think about the life cycle of a startup company, but we're now about six years old. So it's been a whole third of our life since we last um, spoke with you. And um, since then, it's really been about um, going in with individual countries and inventories and looking at um, how a deep borehole disposal would work for a specific inventory given a particular set of uh, geography, geology, if you will. So that's been the focus. We've now been working um, with quite a few governments around the world. Some of them we can talk about publicly, some of them we can't. Um, but it's been a, a pretty amazing experience to take it beyond the theoretical, which is where I think in many ways we still were a couple of years ago, to really thinking about how this could be implemented um, in practice for a specific situation. Now, remind our, our listeners, when you, uh, at Deep Isolation, when you say deep borehole, you're not talking about just a vertical uh, drilling, right? So this has been something that has also um, shifted over the past couple of years. Deep isolation was invented. Our, our initial patent was on the use of horizontal boreholes for, for nuclear waste disposal. Um, since then, and, and particularly working with some governments who have smaller inventories, we think that, that there might be situations in, with, in which vertical boreholes make the most sense. Um, deep isolation is, uh, you know, we believe in the right solution for the right country. We're not going to push horizontal boreholes when it's a vertical solution or a slanted solution or another solution entirely that makes the most sense in a particular case. We still believe that horizontal boreholes are probably going to be a um, the most sensible solution specifically for larger inventories. Um, but um, we're certainly happy to, to, to implement whatever solution makes the most sense. So when you say uh, the horizontal is better for large inventories, it's because you can drill one vertical hole and go out in a number of different laterals from that same access point. Is that correct? We'd probably only have one lateral per vertical shaft, but you still get a lot more room for a specific depth. 
So you want to go deep, but if you go too deep, you start getting into really high pressures, very hot rock. Um, so we think you'd, you, there's, there's really a sweet spot when you want to go deep enough that it's fully isolated, but not so deep that it increases some of the risks that come from that higher pressure and the hotter rock. Yeah, that's something that the oil, oil and gas industry has trouble with if they get want to go too deep, the materials, the drilling bits, and all of the things that go deep in the ground start to be stressed by those pressures and temperatures you're talking about. Drill bits really, they do fine to a certain temperature. Above that, they start breaking down. Yes, that's correct. And of course, the material that you want to store down there, you want to put it in a place where it's going to be comfortable for the next million years or so. Right. You, you want to look at some place where you're sure it's going to be isolated, but you also want to keep, um, put it in an area where it could potentially be retrievable if you want to be able to retrieve it for up to you know, 20, 40, 60 years, whatever that number is. Um, and so there, there are certain, um, there, there are a number of advantages of the horizontal um, formation, um, not only not, in, not having to go as deep for the certain amount of space that you need, um, but also retrievability becomes much easier when you don't have to worry about the crushing of the canisters that could be stacked um, on, on top of one another. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So in a horizontal, the canisters are all lying side by side, as, as you will. That's right. So no, no crushing. Okay. So when you're doing the geological research to evaluate particular sites, what kind of characteristics are you looking for in the layers where you want to put the waste? Yeah, I and mean, this is a shift from, from what people have typically looked for. Um, historically, people like to model out specific rock formations and the properties that those rock formations are expected to have. Um, the problem with that is that rocks change. And so what something looks like at a given location, it might actually be quite different a um, few hundred meters or kilometer away. Um, and so, so doing those modeling, there's, there's, a, there's a degree of uncertainty there, um, which is which is hard to get around. You, you can do good models and we will do those good models. Um, but at the same time, the, the key thing that we want to do is to be able to test for isolation. So we can take measurements um, of uh, within the pores of the rock um, to see whether the, the water that is inside those pores has been isolated from the surface for a given amount of time, say a million years. And if it has been isolated from the surface for a million years, then we believe that is a good starting point for um, the isolation principles that are going to be key to a safe repository. You mentioned that you have talked with some governments that you can talk about publicly. I think one of the ones I saw recently was a report of Slovenia, which has some research reactor material. Is that correct? Yes. So the Slovenia report came out, I believe, earlier this month. Um, there was another one that came out uh, last year with a group of Erdo countries. So that was um, five countries in, in Europe, um, all of whom have looked at deep borehole disposal as a viable solution for their nuclear waste inventories. And so the results of these uh, surveys or, or reports is that your solution is something they want to continue 
evaluating? At what point do they think they're going to make some decisions? You know, it depends. Um, it, it depends on the specific um, situation. Um, Norway is moving forward with um, a, a a set of contracts that will be coming out um, probably this year for um, for their waste disposal design, uh, really design and um, uh, expertise on, on on putting that together. So there 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 are things that are in progress that will continue and. Um, other countries are moving forward on on different timeframes. There's not really a, a a single path forward. Right now, the world's construct is that each country has to take care of its own waste. Is that correct? Uh, it depends. There they, they, there are groups of countries who have looked at multinational repositories. Um, they haven't gone very far. I think it's a really hard thing to do. Um, it's hard enough to to get a community to accept the disposal of nuclear waste in 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 their community, um, even if it's waste that's already in their community. When you start talking about bringing it from other locations around the country, that gets harder. And if you start talking about bringing it in from other countries, I think that gets even harder. So even though there have been a number of conversations that have happened around multinational repositories. Um, and there might still be be some optimism um, around that happening in certain locations around the world. Um, I do expect that the first repositories that that are likely to be built are are likely to be smaller. Um, you know, we might even call them micro repositories, um, where you're you're simply disposing of waste that is already in a specific location at a specific. Community. Could we call them small modular repositories? So you could have one more uh, group that's claiming the acronym SMR? I think we can, yes. <laughs> yeah. I, w- I was amused the other day because someone was talking about using SMRs to produce hydrogen. And uh-huh. somebody else said, well, don't you know that SMR is already the largest uh, producer of hydrogen, but it's steam methane reforming? Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm not a big fan of acronyms, but sometimes yeah. They, yeah. it's hard to do, to live without them. So you have to yes uh, put up with them. So, what is your company's strategy for convincing, say, the Department of Energy that um, we don't necessarily need to build a single repository for the whole country, and we might instead take another path? Um, I think that over the past year, um, as we've made progress with governments um, around the world, there is a message that we are hearing um, that we want to be responsive to. And and what that is, is um, a need for a perhaps multinational demonstration of um, deep borehole disposal. And um, you know we've had these for for mine repositories where there, where there are underground research labs and tests that have been done, um, but nothing like this has ever been done other than the test that Deep Isolation did back in 2019, um, which was really somewhat limited in in scope. Um, so I think there's demand out there for a a larger uh, demonstration to happen um, over the next uh, few years. Now, this is always a hard question for uh, entrepreneurs to address, but do you have any competitors in this 
space. Is anybody else thinking about uh, using similar technologies? So no one, no one that we know of has really jumped in um, around, um, you know, as a, a commercial offering of um, of borehole disposal. So, so, so no real direct competitors. Um, I should add that we think it's important for our solution to be used in a flexible way through local partners. So um, organizations that are responsible for nuclear waste disposal, even commercial entities that want to be implementing nuclear waste disposal in their countries, um, we have a model that can work together with us in collaboration. Um, This is a a hard business to be in. And so we think that the more people are working together, um, the stronger we can be. Um, So there's no direct competition. Um, I do think that there is indirect competition. And to be totally honest, I think the biggest competition we have is the do nothing sort of status quo. Let's put it in temporary storage um, and leave the waste disposal problem for, for future generations. That's really the main competition that we're facing. Of course, some of the people that are in the camp of let's do nothing uh, right now and that surface disposal is fine, aren't necessarily saying they're going to leave a waste problem to future generations. They see themselves as leaving uh, resources, valuable resources, in accessible locations to future generations. Yes, that, that, that is true. Um, and what, one of the things that I think is important to, to, to state about um, disposal is that it is retrievable. So you, you, it doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't have to be you leave it on the surface where it's retrievable. Um, you know, most expectations are that we're not going to use most of that waste. Yes, we can use some of it, and there may be real potential for using some of that for um, for fueling uh, advanced reactors, et cetera. But I don't think there are any realistic projections in which we're going to use all of it. So the majority of it, the vast majority majority of it, will still need to go into disposal. Um, and if if you put it into a horizontal borehole, you can still retrieve it if there is a desire to do so. Um, if it suddenly becomes more valuable. One of the things I like about the solution that you have been working on is that it seems to me from an outsider's point of view that it could substantially reduce the transportation uh, infrastructure that's going to be required to move used fuel. It seems like you could be a lot closer to where the fuel is today rather than finding some isolated mountain in Nevada. Yeah, I do think that that's one of the advantages that that we offer. We offer more flexibility when it comes to to siting. It could be disposed of near where it is now um, in most cases. The the transportation issue is is a really interesting one because transportation is very safe. Um, And yet there um, there are quite a few um, 
public perception and and other hurdles to actually doing transportation. Um, So um, there are countries in which it's easier than it is in the United States. Certainly in the United States, I, I would agree that minimizing transportation is probably wise. Um, but there are other places where it's really not an issue and, and it has been moved. It's continuing to be moved around um, without significant outcry. Yeah, without significant outcry is a, a challenge because some of the largest protests of any kind around the world have been people laying on train tracks in Germany protesting the movement of uh, nuclear waste. Uh, I think they've, they've had some of those have had attendance in the hundred thousand or more people and Mm -hmm. transportation is, is safe. I have no question about the safety of transportation, but as a former businessman, I always thought of transportation as being a particularly significant cost. It just is expensive to move things around. And especially when you're trying to just move around inventory, it's just a, an extra cost that uh, seems like small amounts on a percent basis, but in pure dollars, it's huge numbers. Yeah, and, and certainly not needing, not being required to move it um, in many locations is is a is a real advantage. The other problem with transportation is it's a little bit like a transmission line. You need a hundred percent of the path to be available to you. If there's just a small group of people in a key location along the way, it can make the transportation extremely difficult because you've got to get past that small group or that small area or that landowner who doesn't want the transmission line or, or rail line or whatever going through his property. It's remarkable that, I mean, I think the transportation issue is one of the biggest reasons that we haven't succeeded with the disposal of spent nuclear fuel or high-level nuclear waste. Um, You know, sensible or not, there are people who really object to this. Um, I am guessing that, first of all, the transportation issue is not going to go away. Um, There are going to be, there is going to be waste that's going to need to be moved um, for certain locations. It's, It's not an appropriate place for for disposal, perhaps not for geologic reasons, but for community acceptance reasons. So so transportation is going to be a must, but I don't think it's going to be where we're going to start. I I expect that the first places that are going to succeed with nuclear waste disposal are going to be for uh, locations where there's waste there now. The community is already familiar with this. They have an understanding of the, the what that waste means, and um, also an understanding of what it will mean to take it off the surface and put it deep underground. So I expect that's where we'll start. And as we start to build trust and as people start to understand um, that solutions for disposal are very safe, then eventually we'll have to tackle the transportation issue. But I don't think you want to start with a requirement for significant transportation, at least not in some locations. Absolutely. And of course, there is a a value in simply shortening the path that you have to go. If you have to move your waste a few hundred miles, it's different than moving it two or 3,000 miles. Absolutely. And there are, you know, some parts of the country that are probably geologically satisfactory that are close to the locus of current uh, used fuel storage places. Yes. So 
in our conversation a couple of years ago, you described your position on nuclear as being somewhat agnostic. Can you uh, tell me if that position has changed or is it still the same? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I personally have always been very pro-nuclear. Um, and I've been on the record saying that for, for years. So I, I don't think um, that was the issue. I think that our company in, in the early days of deep isolation, um, there were a number of people within the company who were not sure what they felt about the future of nuclear and whether they believed that there should be a future for nuclear. So we took the stance that it, it didn't really matter. Um, nuclear waste disposal needs to happen. So whether we believe in the future of nuclear, even though I personally do believe in it, um, we took the stance that it, it, there was no point in our company taking a position on this. Um, that has shifted over the past few years. I think that um, given, given, I think, you know, to be just straightforward about it, given global warming, I think there is an increased appreciation that nuclear has to be part of the solution and some urgency around that. We, 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 need, we need to be able to grow our zero uh, or our low carbon solutions quickly. And, and nuclear has potential there, except that in many places it's being held back by the unsolved nuclear waste problem. Um, and we're also seeing that as, as people want to build new reactors, advanced reactors, um, they are being asked, well, what, what are we going to do with the waste? Um, which is the responsible thing to do, right? You ideally do want to have a solution for, for waste disposal before you generate any, before you build a reactor. Um, and I think people are appreciating that. And, and so I think that our company's posi position has shifted um, as we've become... Um, as, as our own internal people have shifted. And I think um, we do want now um, a future for, for nuclear power. And we recognize that solving the nuclear waste problem is part of that. Yeah, I see your company's uh, activities as being an enormous enabler for that rapid buildup that I believe is necessary. Uh, because, as you say, the waste issue has been you know, and I, unfortunately, you know, recent political history is, has made this particular saying uh, almost invalid, but the waste issue has been a trump card. Mm. Uh, people don't play bridge much anymore, so they don't really know what that means. Yeah. But trump means, hey, I beat everybody because this is, this is the highest card in the deck because that's what we agreed to, to say. And yeah. uh, waste, the waste issue has been the trump card that people threw out when they really wanted to stop the conversation, say, well, you've got all these great things. You, you've got reliable, you got clean. Maybe you can get your costs under control, but you can't solve your waste issues. So we, we just won't accept what you're doing. But the, the answer is that we really can solve the waste issue. And we actually, in my opinion, have solved it to the point where we can prove through a long history that we know how to isolate the material from the environment. We know how to protect workers who are handling the material. It's very simple application of time, distance, and shielding that does that. Your solution permanently does it so that people don't have to monitor it over time, but we it's not really a danger to anybody. It's a hazard, but not a danger. 
Yeah, I think that's right, Rod. I think that we 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 have technical solutions. We've had technical solutions for for quite a while. So you know, deep isolation is a different method for getting to deep geologic isolation, but um, you know, the end point of deep geologic isolation is is really the same. Um, I think what we haven't succeeded in is the the softer side, if you will. So finding the communities, um, showing that we can keep the costs down. Um, you know, cost projections when they're based purely on the technical um, solution are one thing, but when you have to deal with public public objections, um, you know, the cost is is going to be totally different. Um, one one other thing I think is important though is I think that the urgency has changed. And so while, um, you know, in, in the history of nuclear waste disposal, there hasn't been a lot of urgency to, to solving nuclear waste disposal, and organizations have been quite comfortable saying that, you know, we'll begin disposal in 20 to 50 years, and it'll take another 100 years to, to, to get it um, fully into disposal. I think because of global warming and because of the public perception, that is shifting, and, and people are interested now in taking meaningful action as you know as long as it's still safe so not rushing anything um, but taking meaningful action in significantly shorter time frames than had been previously considered I agree that the, there is a sense of urgency and a sense of taking prompt safe steps forward not as you say rushing it Rushing is probably the worst thing you can do in nuclear. Yes. And interestingly enough, I've been reading some novels that feature U.S. Navy SEALs, and I never knew that they had this saying, but, you know, the SEALs do some pretty interesting stuff. What they're saying is, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Hmm. So you take things slow and deliberately. You do it right the first time, which overall saves you time. Yes. You know, when you don't have to stop and re regroup and all that other stuff, it's, yes. it's a, it's something that's, you know, your move, your steady movement forward is, is interesting and, and kind of impressive. Now, are you uh, getting to the point in the reasonably near future where you're going to start to generate some revenues, not just income from investors? Yeah, so we've already started generating revenue. Um, it's not enough to support our current team, so we're, we're not yet at that break-even point. Um, and I suspect we probably won't be because as we continue to ge generate more revenue, we're going to want to invest that in, in bringing this solution forward. Um, we've also, uh, I mean, I think you know we made an acquisition um, in late last year, and so we're recognizing that this is, I mean, this is a really tricky problem, and the more groups and organizations, the, the more we can build capacity for delivering this, the easier it's going to be to be able to, to, to deliver, to, to show that we have the history and the skills and, and the, the expertise to be able to, to do this safely. 
Um, we've also been working with partners, as, as, as you know. So Deep Isolation has started generating revenue. Um, the company that we acquired also has existing revenue. So we've passed that milestone. Um, but of course, there's still a long way to go from being revenue generating to being profitable and certainly um, to looking at actual disposal, which is you know, going to be much more significant revenue numbers than, than where we are today. I believe when we talked before, you mentioned Bechtel as one of your partners. Can you tell us who you, uh, some of your other partners are? Yeah, so our three main partners are Bechtel, Schlumberger, and NAC International. So um, all three of those have been deeply involved. Oh, and I didn't mean that pun, deeply involved. <laughs> um, but all three of them have been working with us um, for, for a number of years now. And so together, we 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 provide everything that's needed from the drilling, which, which is with Schlumberger, um, the, the expertise on um, you know, what sort of drilling machinery we're going to want to use, the emplacement tools, um, et cetera, uh, to the handling, which is done with NAC International. So their expertise is in transportation, handling, uh, canisters. They're, they're designing the deep isolation canister. Um, so this is this is a, a, a partnership that works um, extremely well. And then Bechtel, when it comes to uh, construction and project management, um, et cetera. So we, we, we do have partners that, that you know, stronger together than we would be on our own. In your community reach out, out, outreach, have you found any communities that are, that are interested enough to start to think about welcoming a disposal site into the community, ask, actually bringing it in on purpose? to generate some local revenues? So let me let me divide your question into two, if I may. I think there's the US, which is a bit of a unique situation, and then there's the rest of the world. So we have done, um, probably most of our community engagement has been in the United States. We are a US-based company. That's you know, where most of us live, um, though not all of us um, anymore. Um, and, and it's also a really difficult place to begin community engagement um, because of Yucca Mountain and, and the, the belief, um, you know, the, the, the law, if you will, that waste will go to Yucca Mountain um, and the way that this has played out with utilities. Um, and so we, we think in order to, to have a site, it's not enough just to have the community. You need to have the utility. And, and those are linked. We've, we've, we've spoken to you to communities where they said, well, we want to support what the utility wants to do. And so what does the utility think, think of this deep isolation solution? And so that makes it, um, it's complex in, in the United States. Um, elsewhere in the world, We've had fewer conversations, um, but at the same time, I think there is an appreciation of the need for flexibility. So there have been communities that have said, not necessarily to us, but but around other nuclear waste disposal um, discussions, that they are open to nuclear waste disposal. And yet, sometimes they put limitations on that. They, they're, they're open to the waste that's there now, or they're open even in some cases to waste that's been ge generated elsewhere, but they don't want to include something, or they don't want to include future generated waste that we don't even know yet what it's going to look like. 
Um, and historically, we um, because we've been thinking about mind repository approaches, so we sort of the, the big we and the, the world has been thinking about mind repositories as the only solution, that hasn't been an option. You, you can't say yes to some waste, but no to other waste, um, because mind repositories are so expensive and difficult to build that you can only have one for a country. And I think the the modularity that deep isolation can offer so that a community could say yes to disposing of some waste, but not necessarily to disposing of all the waste in the country. Um, I think there's more openness to that um, based on some early conversations. I think we have certainly have more work to do. Yeah, a a community could, with your solution, say, we'll accept uh, two wells and we'll, we'll we'll store commercial nuclear fuel. We won't store defense waste, for example. So Precisely. They, they can put a limit on how much and yes. what kind. Yes, correct. Yeah. So would your process be eased if you could get the Congress to uh, get rid of the provision in law that requires Yucca Mountain to be the solution? I mean, what we'd really like is to remove the restriction on other solutions moving forward in parallel. So we don't need to, you know, remove any requirement that Yucca Mountain be eventually built. Um, I, I don't think we would necessarily touch that, but we do think that there's um, there's benefit from having multiple options that can be considered in parallel. So that's really what we would hope for is, is that the deep isolation solution could be considered in addition to other solutions that we think should also be considered. Yeah, you might not have heard it, but when I said the solution, I was trying to emphasize in capital letters, the meaning a monopoly solution. Yes. With the current law, that's really the only option allowed. And that's, it's never a good problem solving technique to only look at one solution. Completely agree. In my opinion, I think multiple uh, shots, uh, either into the bucket or into a goal or whatever you want to, however you want to, whatever cliche you want to use. Yes. um, Yes. The right, (laughs) the right way to approach it. So I believe, and looking at, say, the reaction that I've been reading in small town newspapers to the uh, natrium project in Wyoming, Mm. uh, where the uh, demonstration reactor program is going to a small town with 2,500 residents with a coal plant and a coal mine, the reaction from some cases is, hey, why don't we get one of those? Mm. So. I think that there's a possibility of once you start finding some communities and people see what the benefits are to their community and what kind of of impact it could have, minimal impact on the surface, but perhaps significant impact on pocketbooks Mm. is a a way forward. Mm. As I have reminded people, there are many small towns in the U.S. where the small town maybe lost their factory or whatever they, their major source of employment. People still like living there and they want to live there so badly and but want a source of income that they go out and recruit for prisons to be built. 
Mm. And nuclear waste at least doesn't try to escape. Yeah, no, I, th I think that's a good point. I think that, um, you know, also true is that the waste is is out there today. You know, this is not necessarily something that, um, I mean, it, it's it's there. So, so again, with the idea of starting with locations where it is today or where it's going to be if a community moves forward with an advanced reactor project um, makes a lot of sense, right? You're, you're not necessarily in, in these cases, bringing waste into a community, you're taking it off the surface where it is now and making it safer for the very long term. And by taking it off the surface, you make that surface area usable again. That's right. And in some cases that waste is sitting on some property that might be rather valuable if there wasn't a waste storage uh, repository yeah. there, maybe yeah. on the shores of Lake Michigan, for example. Yeah, certainly, I think, I, I think, you know, our vision is when you take it off the surface that that land should be usable. Um, if you have an operating plant, okay, maybe it's not going to be totally usable, but certainly um, for any sites that are no longer active, um, you want to be able to greenfield it and, and make that make that a, a livable, beautiful place again. So Liz, um, I also noticed that you had a rather interesting uh, personnel development coming up. One of your earliest employees has left your company for a new job. What's going on there? Yes, I, I assume you're refer referring to some recent um, social media posts. Um, I will just say that I'm, I'm very excited. And um, I think that um, the Department of Energy has really shown, um, you know, I, I, I admire them for this decision. Um, this person is a visionary. Um, they've been with Deep Isolation um, since our earliest days. They were our first employee, um, and we're very, very excited for the, for, the, for the future, while we're also sad to see them go. Yeah, it's, it's always sad when you have the government poaching some of your workers. But on the other hand, it's, it's uh, happy for them and happy for the whole industry, for people that are working hard in a particular area to you know, gain some, some different positions. Yes. Yes. And the ability to influence more things on a larger scale. Yeah. So, um, is there anything else that you would like to share that we haven't touched on here? I think we've touched on just about everything. Um, I always like to reiterate that we as an organization, we really want people's input. And um, and so if any listeners are, are out there and they have suggestions for us, they have thoughts for us, um, really they should feel free to, to contact us. Um, we are in regular contact with environmental groups, with community organizations, um, international, you know, nonprofits, et cetera. Um, but this is something that we value. And so please do feel free to, to reach out to us. Um, the other thing I'd like to mention too is that um, you know, we as an organization really believe that this solution can be and probably should be implemented um, in, in quite a few locations and countries around the world. Um, we don't expect that to be necessarily us doing the implementing um, for a 
foreign country um, where we may not speak the language or have the local expertise, but we do want to make sure that our solution is available to local partners who are interested in, in implementing it. So if there's any listeners out there who are interested in working with us, um, we'd also be delighted to have a conversation. So in that model, I'll give, I will ask one more question. In that model, would you be licensing your technology to somebody else and have them implement it or working as forming a new partnership, joint venture or, or a combination? Yes, I, I think the specifics of the model could be flexible. Um, we certainly have a lot of intellectual property. Um, m- most of our patents have been filed or are being filed internationally as well. Um, so there's that. There's also the methodologies we've developed, the engineering specifications, um, and really the, the the sort of how to take this forward and and implement it. Um, there's also you know, stakeholder engagement work and citing work. We, we don't expect to be an expert on that internationally, um, but we certainly can provide support and guidance to, to partners on that as well. Perfect. Well, Liz, thank you very much for your time. I'll let you get back to your busy startup schedule and uh, <laughs> hope that, that you continue to make as much progress in the next couple of years as you did in the past couple of years. But I bet at some point you're going to have an inflection point and things will get really crazy. I'll be excited when that happens. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rod. This was a pleasure and it was really good to talk to you again. And this is Rod Adams and I hope you enjoyed that show. I was talking to Liz Muller, co-founder and CEO of Deep Isolation, a company that is investigating the probability of using deep borehole technology, either vertically or horizontally, to dispose of spent nuclear fuel, a.k.a. used nuclear fuel, a.k.a. nuclear waste. Bye now. There's a way, a way, such a better way. Today, today. Raise your voice, tell the world there's a better way. Today, there's a better way. There's a way, such a better way. Today, today. Now raise your voice, tell the world there's a better way. Today, there's a better way.